Like I, uh, like I said before, I am I'm really excited about today. I'm excited about what's going on. I'm excited about what, uh, what we have planned and that what's, what God really has planned. Because, you know, every time I make plans, they get changed. Um, the, uh, the whole idea of what we're doing, though, to reach out, you know, it's, it's just exciting. And, and I appreciate you all bearing with us as we go through some of the things. You know, as, you, as we hear sounds, they're going to be adjusting me back there, and it's going to get squeaky, and it's going to make noises, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But I appreciate those guys and their patience with me. And, um, you know, those of you who just were over checking in your kids over at the thing, we're working on a new check-in system that's web-based, and we have poor service out here for all those things. So it's just been one little thing and little th- and we're trying to work through those details and I appreciate each of you bearing with us in that. I'm excited that we have some new people here today. It's always good to see new people. And um, this morning we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open up to Luke chapter 5 and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11, really focusing on verses 1 through 6. But as you're opening up there, It'll be a little while until we actually get to it, but what I want you to do is just kind of have them there so when we move into it, there's not too much of a problem. But uh, it's been a great week. It really has been for me. Um, It's fun to be for me to be busy. I don't really like to be away from home, but I like to be busy and doing things. But uh, like I said, this week, got to go to Nashville. Never been to Nashville before. Really cool town. If you've never been there before, that might be a place to, to visit. They actually... The thing that, that kind of blew me away, though, I have AT&T service on my phone. They have this giant AT&T building that looks like Batman, okay? Uh, and I'm not even joking. It, it sits on their skyline, and there's these two huge towers that stick up, and I'm like, I should have great AT&T service here. No, I was on edge. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. And um, so I'm, we're downtown walking around, though, and just checking things out, and you see all these places that uh, all these famous people had, had got their start at, all these little honky-tonk bars and stuff up and down, and... And we're walking around and just enjoying, enjoying time together. First time that Christy and I had been away from our kids together since, at least since Maylie was born. Um, and, and probably before that. So it's been well over, over two years now since we were able to just get away and, and spend the night away from, from our kids. And it was fun. Of course, um, that's the same day that we leave that Maylie decided to get sick. And the day after that, Canton decided he was going to try and jump over a bench at school, caught his toe, and face-planted onto the concrete. So we're literally the first two days away from our kids now going, oh, should we have left? You know, those are the kind of thoughts that are going through your mind. Oh, are we terrible parents for leaving our kids and they're homesick and we're out having fun? How can we have fun? Those things go through your head and then they disappear real quick. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was just a crazy week. It was a blur. Got to go to California and be a part of uh, the Catalyst West Coast Conference. And that is a church leadership conference that just really encourages. And, and this week, their theme was take courage. Take courage. And the whole thing revolved around Psalm 3421, which is be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And I got to thinking, this next step was a... It was a perfect time for us to go to this conference because this next step in starting in Cleveland this week and really getting things going, it's a big step emotionally. It's a big step physically because there's a lot more labor that's involved. It's a big step financially. You know, we had to to buy more stuff to be able to come over here. And all these things were things that could have held us back. But I know this is where God wants us. The funny thing is, is this is where I've wanted to be since day one. 
But God didn't want that. He wanted us to start out where we're at. And, you know, his plans worked out just fine. And I have to constantly remind myself of that. Well, hey, God, your plans work out just fine. And that's what we're going to really even talk about today as we look into the chapter 5 of Luke, that God's plans do work out fine, even though sometimes we disagree, even though sometimes we want to fight him and say, hey, God, I know better because this is what I do all the time. We want to say things like that. But really, God's plans work out just fine. I was thinking about as we moved here, and I was thinking about as we decided that we were going to come to Cleveland, and somebody said, well, what happens if it fails? And I'm not generally the, the pessimistic type, and I, but my thing is, if it fails, it fails. It's just, that's just the way it is. It's just another part of God's plan. And I think he's entrusted us with the abilities. I think he's entrusted us with the desires, the passion to reach out to this community. And I don't see how it can fail. Is there going to be bumps along the way? Absolutely. Are there going to be people that get mad at me and leave? Absolutely. Because I tend to do that to people. I rub people the wrong way sometimes. You might rub people the wrong way sometimes. Who knows what's going to happen? Just along with the accomplishments and the victories, side by side, there's going to be struggles and there's going to be disappointments. And we have to be ready for that and we have to be aware of that and understand how God is using that in us. And like I said before, I am, I am really, really excited about what's going to happen. This Thursday, or this past Thursday, we're, uh, while we were at the conference, this guy, his name is Judah Smith, and he's a pastor up in, in Seattle, and he took over for his dad, and um, he's got this amazing way to communicate the gospel. I mean, he, uh, he's a nerdy-looking white kid, and he, he talks as if he came straight out of the South at an at a African-American church that's just, you know, and everybody's laughing and he's doing, no, you didn't, you know, all those kind of things. And it's just really, I mean, you're just glued to him. But one thing that really stuck out to me that he said, because he didn't want to take over his dad's church, but his dad's health started to fail and his dad said, I want you to do it. He didn't want those things. And when he did, the church blew up. And it became something, and all these people started coming, and, and he, like I said, he's just one of those communicators you lock in on. But the one thing he said was, that really stuck out to me, is God in our lives is the initiator. We are merely here to respond. He is the initiator, and we are merely here to respond. He has initiated everything that is to take place here this morning. And it's how we respond is how things are going to be from here on out. As many of you know, I have my surgery this, this Friday at 1 o'clock. Some people said, are you scared? Heck yeah, I'm scared. I'm having surgery on my mouth. I have 50% of, or up to 50% of my tongue removed. They're slicing into my neck to remove lymph nodes. Am I scared? Yeah. But does that mean that I sit around and I worry and I bite my fingernails and I cry and I say, God, why me? No. Because he is the initiator and I'm merely here to respond, and I'm wanting to respond with everything in me to say, God, I have complete and total faith in you that you are going to do what you need to do. Whether this is my last sermon ever is a possibility. I mean, that was a reality that came to me this week while I was sitting there. This could be it. I could be done. He may say, sorry, you're never going to talk again. You know, they actually have prosthetic tongues. I'm not sure how they work. But I'm not sure if they have flavored taste buds on them because that's the only thing I'm really caring about, you know. 
Oh, good, another steak. Tastes like sawdust. Wonderful. Um, you know, th- those are the things that you think about. Those are the things that go through your mind. But I know, I know in my heart that God's plan is not to take that away from me. That God's plan is for me to be here and me to, to lead with you and lead alongside of you and, and go into this crazy, dark world with the gospel of Christ so they understand, so people understand who Jesus is. I truly believe that. Am I 100% sure? I'd like to say that I was, but I'm not. But life will go on. This church will go on. I told you last week, this church is not me. This church is not Scott. It is all of us together, working together to reach a community. If this were just me, I'd still be setting up. If this were just me, I'd still be over in the children's area trying to check people in. If this were just me, I'd be up at the Welcome Center trying to welcome you all. But it's not. We all work together. From the small things to the big things, you know, it happens. This church happens because all of us come together. You know, this is one of those moves, once again, that I said it's just a little bit scary on what could possibly happen on how it all could turn out. People say, well, I really don't like driving all the way out there, having to drive half of a mile just to get through the campus to get to where you guys are at. I mean, there's all sorts of little things that we can say and that we can do and we can use as excuses. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today too is the excuses that come with it. This is a scary venture. But one thing I got to thinking about this week and it was kind of the the overall theme that went with this Take Courage that you were talking about at this conference was when was the last time that status quo, that just living up to that, eh, we're good like we are, changed anything in the world. When was the last time that happened? It's those who push through their fears and take courage because they have hope in the Lord that get to that next level. And I believe that's where we're at and that's why we're sitting here and that's why we're going to be reaching out to people and that's why when this is all done, you're going to go and you're going to take those invite cards and you're going to say, why do I have a problem? Why am I scared to give this invite card to my neighbor? Why am I scared to give this to my cashier? Because you know what? We live in a world, we live in a world that is going to hell. Okay, I want you to understand that, and that might be not the politically correct way to say it, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are going to hell. And that is just a terrible, terrible thing to think about. When you look at your neighbor and you smile over the fence at them and you're talking back and forth and having a great time with them and saying, hey, it's been really, really good to know you. I like you a lot, but not enough to tell you about Jesus Christ because I'd rather you burned in hell. Doesn't that sound a little ridiculous? Same thing with the Walmart cashier. Same thing with your parents that may not know Jesus Christ. I don't know. But the thing is, is we need to put that status quo of, "Ah, I'm all right doing the way I am, and say, God, what do you want me to do next? Where are you taking us? Christine Kane was another one of the speakers, and she's a leader uh, from that that small church down in Australia called Hillsong. Maybe you've heard of it before. Hillsong United is the band that comes out of there and lots of stuff. But she's one of the leaders that, that had come out of that. And um, she actually has started a ministry called A21 Ministries. And it's a ministry to work on ending slavery in the world. 
And a lot of people say, what do you mean slavery in the world? Because that just doesn't even, that doesn't even really compute. I, I don't quite understand that. Do you realize there are 28 million people in slavery as we sit here and speak right now? Almost 2 million of those are sex slaves that have been drugged and taken to a country and locked to a bed, and they are sex slaves. Two million of those 28 million. And that number is almost mind-numbing to the point where we say, oh, wow, that's too bad. But if you put a name and a face with every one of those numbers, that changes everything. And that's really what she had gotten up to do. And that's just a small part of the things that make this world so stinking evil. And yet we sometimes will sit back and say, I'm fine with what I'm doing. Everything's pretty good. Our church is over 100. That's good. Hey, we hit over 200 people on our Facebook fan page this week. How great is that? You know, I mean, that was a big goal of mine at one point in time. But now I look out and I say, God, what is it that we are supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be reaching this world for Jesus Christ? The purpose of life, this is what Christine Kane said, the purpose of life is not to arrive at death safely. And yet, isn't that the way that Americans are? We want to work until we have enough money, and then we want to retire, and we want to play until we die, right? Isn't that kind of the, the overall mindset that we have in it all? It's a little bit scary to think that there's people all over this world that are dying and going to hell because we're okay with the status quo. I was reading a book this week that had kind of the same thought. It said, Jesus came to give us freedom to be free, not freedom to be safe. Freedom to be free from the slavery that is sin, but not freedom to be safe. If you were to look through the Bible and just take a broad look at all the characters that we see throughout the Bible, all the important people of history that are recorded in the Bible, how many of them died safely? Just a question. Because we have a tendency to think, well, as long as we're doing what we're doing, we're fine. But aren't we supposed to be mimicking? Aren't we supposed to be looking at and learning from the people that are in God's Word? Isn't that what they're there for, to set up an example for our lives to follow? Especially Jesus. I don't think he died safely. Just a thought. All of this conference and everything sprung up in my mind this week, this one question. What am I more concerned with? My comfort or my calling? Because each of us are called. Each of us. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, we are called to go and make disciples of Christ. Am I comfortable with saying that I'm more concerned with my comfort than I am for my calling? And as I look at this and I think about this, I thought about my family. How do I teach my family? Do I tell them to be safe? Oh, you shouldn't do that because you might get hurt. That's kind of where I'm at. And it's funny because I got to thinking about Camden doing his little face plant this week. And uh, as he cleared that or failed to clear that bench and, and landed on his face, if I would have been here, my first thought would have been, dude, that was dumb. 
And I bet that for most of us in here, if you had kids, you'd all kind of say the same thing. Well, I hope you learned something, your lesson from that one. In general, when we're talking about learning our lesson, we're saying, learn your lesson, don't do it again. But shouldn't we be saying, learn your lesson, jump higher? I mean, shouldn't that be kind of our mindset to say, hey, if we want to do something great, if you want to accomplish that, I don't know how many of you guys watch the X Games. I love watching the X Games because those people are crazy. There's a guy that, that uh, his name's Nate Adams, and he, uh, he does freestyle motocross. He was in my youth group in Phoenix, and I always enjoy watching the things that he does. But if you read their biography, they have a special part of their biography that tells you all the things that they have broken. What if they had broken that one thing and said, oh, I'd rather not. I can't do it anymore. No, it's learn what goes next. Hey, how about you land in a foam pit without the motorcycle landing on top of you? That's what we learn. Those are the things that we figure out. And we push on, and that's what we need to even be here. And that leads me to this this passage that is here in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, read along with me, because this passage is really about learning, not from the message, but sometimes learning from the object lesson that is placed in front of us. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I'll be reading from the, uh, from the NIV, but I'm going to throw in a little King James into it just because I like the wording a little bit in that. One day as Jesus was standing at the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, to one of them belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, or as the King James says, launch out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come out and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. It goes on from there, and it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will be fishing for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. So this crowd of people, this big crowd of people have been following Jesus. And they've been kind of following for days now. And they were just following where he went, where he went, where he went. And you know, I'll be honest with you. Preaching takes a lot out of you. Standing up and and preparing and getting ready. And I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus to be constantly being followed. And every time people wanted to hear this new message. The funny thing is, is I don't know if this message was super important in the grand scheme of things, because Luke never records what it is. He never says, hey, this is what this message is all about. It's probably about faith, or it's probably about trust. But Jesus decides, as we look further into the passage, to take it, instead of it being a passage about the message, he takes it as an object lesson. Now, all these people are starting to crowd in on him, and I'm not sure if you've ever been a big crowd of people, but you can't really talk 
to everybody if everybody's right up on you because the sound just doesn't work that way. So he says, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to go out here on this boat. You're going to push me out a little bit and some effects are going to come into place that helps it kind of set up as an amphitheater because unfortunately he didn't have a PA system at the time. So what he does is he gets on this boat, puts him a little higher up so the sound travels a little bit better. And I'm not sure how many of you guys have been on a lake at any point in time in your life, but when you're on that lake and you yell, you can hear pretty well across it because water has a tendency to carry sound waves, and it carries it a little bit further. With the wind behind him, him out on this boat and out on the water, he was able to speak clearly, and people could understand him. But we don't even really know what he was talking about because it says when he was finished, he turned around and he told a fisherman to go put out into deep water or go launch out into deep water. And it's kind of funny if you think about it because we have a tendency to know exactly what's right and what's wrong, don't we? At least in our minds we do. We tell ourselves, well, I'm pretty much an expert in this area, so I'm going to know this. Imagine this. Imagine somebody from a different occupation coming to tell you how to do the occupation you've been doing your entire life. That's what happens here because Jesus, he's a carpenter. He's grown up a carpenter, probably fished on occasion, but didn't really know much about the trade of fishing. Telling Simon Peter, who has been fishing on the Sea of Galilee his entire life, how to do fishing. Because you see, Peter, he understands that, well, number one, you don't fish in the middle of the afternoon because the fish aren't at the top. It's generally early morning. They come to the top for feeding. He's been on this lake for his entire life, so he probably knows where they feed at. So they go out, they put their nets down, and that's when they catch the fish. This carpenter guy, who just got done talking about faith or trust or whatever, says, hey, why don't you do me a favor? Go launch out into the deep water and put down your nets. If it were me, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? If it were me, I would say, no. Okay? I've been out fishing all night long. A, I'm tired. B, we're washing our nets, which means we're almost done, which means I can go at least get something to eat before I go to bed. If I do this, that means I'm going to have to wash my nets again. If I listen to you and... I don't even know why I should because you're just some guy who's over there talking and people are listening. And, I, you know, I caught myself listening a little bit because the water was carrying it and I was washing my nets and listening in on what you had to say. The stuff you had to say was pretty cool, but you don't know anything about fishing. But what's he do? What's Simon Peter do? He takes this idea that what God has to say is ridiculous and crazy. Because that's what we tend to think, isn't it? When God gives us something to do, when we think we know better than God, we say, God, that's crazy. I mean, seriously. You want me to go plant a church with a handful of people from a church that's doing well, and I'm already in a youth ministry that's doing well, and my family's taken care of, and really seriously, you want me to go out there and plant a church and have to set up every Sunday and get a bunch of people who probably don't really want to set up either to come set up every Sunday? And now, God, you want us to move from that location that we've gotten comfortable in and we understand setup only takes us 20 minutes and teardown only takes us 15 and you want us to go set up someplace else that's going to take more setup and do a little bit more? We start telling ourselves that. And I don't know what situation that you're in, but I'm sure there's something along the lines where God has called you to do something and you are fighting with him along the way to say, God, I know better than you do because it's me. 
even though we know we don't know better than God. We say these things, and as we, as we walk in there, and we say, God, you're crazy and you're irrational. There's no way you know what you're doing. God understands the situation. God understands everything, and he has this plan. And really, point number one is, is that even though we might think so, even though the people we surround ourselves might think so, even though culture might think so, God is not crazy. He's not irrational, and he's not going to make requests that are crazy and irrational. What he's going to do is he's going to reach out to us, and he's going to wait for us to respond. He's going to be the initiator, and we are merely the responder. Our natural response is excuses. Our natural response is excuses. You see, we see from a human perspective. We have a limited view of what's next and how God's going to use it. Most of the time, we see how God has used something by doing what? Taking a look back and saying, oh, yeah, he did know what he was doing, didn't he? It's pretty amazing that, that through my parents' divorce that I became a Christian, and through my, dad's, or my stepdad's death, I went to a Christian Bible school, and through wanting to get to know junior hires better, I ended up at a church. And through being at a church, I am now standing here in front of you. It's all stuff that I never would have put into my own plans, but God knew exactly what he was doing to bring me to right to this very situation. And I'm sure each and every one of you can look back on your life, and you can see the good, and you can see the bad, and you can say, Man, if I would have made an excuse and said, this isn't working and I hate God and I'm going to turn my back on him and tell him he is ridiculous and that these are the things that don't happen in life to just normal, ordinary people, we could easily have said, eh, forget you, God. But he's never said that to us. He said, just listen to me and respond how you will. But let me tell you, if you respond the correct way, your life is going to change and it's going to change the others around you. And I've seen that in my own life, and I'm sure you've seen it in yours as well. The funny thing is, is that Simon, Simon Peter here, he has an excuse. He even gives it. He says, Lord, we've been out there all night long. There are no fish in those waters. We've already tried. Our muscles ache. We're tired. And besides, the sun's up. And we know the fish don't bite. If you can't catch them during the night, what makes you think you're going to catch any during the day? Peter's not alone, though. How many times have we said, well, Lord, I've tried. I've tried. I gave it my best shot, and I failed at it, so I'm done. I've seen others try, and they failed at it, and there's no way I'm any better than them, so I don't see how that's going to happen. Please don't call me to do that. I've seen other churches get planted out in Enchanted Hills, and I've seen them fail. What makes me any better? It's because God called. He's asked us to do it, and that's why we're here. We need to stop making excuses and do what God has called us to do. And the reason why is because God is God, and we are not, and we need to have faith. That's a big word there. We need to have faith that He is in control, and we need to merely respond to what He's asking us to do. Like I said, faith is a big word. It's hard to understand it. It's hard to understand where it comes from. It's hard to understand exactly when it comes into our lives. It's hard to understand how it comes about.
But it is one of those things that we need to understand. Look at, look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and maybe you know it, and if you don't want to flip to it, you don't have to. But it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast or brag about the fact that they saved themselves. This passage really has two things that we need to see about faith. Number one is, is that faith is God the initiator is first of all involved here. Because it says, for by grace, which is God, you have been saved by faith, which is us. Grace is God's initiation. Faith is our response. And look what happens with Peter here. He says all the things. I have no idea why you're asking me to do this. We've been fishing all night. We're tired. But the next part of that verse says, Because you say so, because you say so, I will let down my nets. This response came in spite of doubt, and it came because Simon Peter knew there was something different about this, as he said, master, about this rabbi. So he launched out into deep waters with faith, and this rabbi was probably watching from the side. You see, the, the Sea of Galilee, I've never got to, to, to go, but uh, some of you maybe have. But the Sea of Galilee is nothing huge. It's only about 8 miles wide by 13 miles by long or so. That's all the bigger it is. So to get out to deep water isn't really that far. And once again, with the water being able to, to carry voices, you could hear kind of what was going on, and you could hear things. So I'm sure Jesus was standing on the side, and he's probably doing this. And Simon Peter's probably rowing out. Stupid. So dumb. Can't believe I'm doing this. I should be in bed right now. You know, over and over. And as he rode out there, he's like, I'm here. All right. You know, I, I'm out here. I did what you wanted me to do. Throw the nets over. Also, he's like, whoa, what? You know, I, I don't know exactly the whole idea that came about. But all of a sudden, his nets were full. And he's like, wait a second. Um, we're going to need some help here. Call another boat. Another boat comes out. So much so that both boats were sinking. So much so that both boats were sinking. How do we respond when God just smacks us across the face with a fish? You know, I mean, it's one of those, I can only imagine, because he probably went out there reluctantly. He probably went out there saying, I am here to prove you wrong, Jesus. I, I love doing that. I do. I've made people cry. I've made my sister cry by getting on the internet to prove them wrong. You know, and, and you know, it's a terrible thing about me, but I have a pretty good feeling that if this were me and I were out there, I'm like, Jesus, I'm pulling this up on Google. You can't fish in the middle of the afternoon. And what happens? It just unloads. And Simon Peter comes to this point, it's like, I am, I am not worthy. Please, God, please, I am so sorry. Get me out of your presence. I am a sinful man. How did I not trust you? Have you ever been to that point in humility when you understand that God is God and you are not? It's one of those things that's just kind of mind-blowing. How many times has God asked you to do something crazy? And you respond reluctantly, 
and something amazing happened. And you're just like, wow. Yet the next time he asks you to do something crazy, you still respond reluctantly. For some reason, you didn't get it the first time that he knows what's going on. And then the second time, you don't get it. And the third time, you don't get it. And the fourth time, we don't get it. We forget who God is. We forget the power that God has. We forget what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. We forget who he has given us in his Holy Spirit. We forget those things. And we think that we have to try and do this on our own. God is calling us to launch out into deep waters, and I think there's three ways that we can see this happen. Three ways that we can see this happen, and they're not easy ways, because it sure does sound easy on paper, but when it comes right down to it, it's not easy. The first way is this. Launch out, or to launch out, we need to open ourselves up to fervent prayer. We need to get down on our faces, get down on our knees, and pray. Do you understand the power of prayer? Have you seen prayers answered? You know, it's funny because I think sometimes we think that if we pray before dinner, that's good enough. That takes care of it. Or we feel that if we're praying in any way, shape, or form, it's just silly. People are going to make fun of us. We're going to get a little giddy. Oh, no, I don't really want to. That's okay. Thank you. Um, We are able to communicate. We are able to connect with the all-powerful God of this universe through prayer. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yeah. If you get down on your hands and your knees, are you going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. But when are we ever supposed to come into God's presence, the creator of the universe, in this comfortable manner, flippantly? When we're trying to tap into his power to reach out to a community, to reach out to a world that doesn't know him. We need to get down on our faces and ask God for strength to reach out to this lost and dying world. And like I said, it's not an easy thing to do. Nobody said it's going to be easy. And you know, the other thing, it's so funny. I find myself, and this is a bad thing of me, but I find myself listening to people's prayers versus just praying along with them. And there's some things that, that, um, that make me laugh. One is the fact that people use the word Father way too much. Okay? That is just one of the Father God. We just want to praise you, Father God, for this Father God. I mean, he knows who he is. Stop talking to him like that, okay? You know, just, just get it out. That and the word just. Well, God, we just want to come to you. No, don't put him in a box by throwing in the word just. Let him do what he needs to do and just ask him to do it. Ask him, get down on your face and ask him to use you in a way that is going to blow your mind and everybody else's mind around you. Second thing is, is when you finally get to that point and he tells you what to do, make yourself available to God to do it. Make yourself available to God to do it. Are you willing to do what God asks? Because there's a good chance if you get down on your face in prayer, And you ask him, God, how can you use me to reach out to this community that is lost and dying? He's going to answer. And you're going to go, oh, eh, eh, that's scary. That's pretty, I mean, seriously, I have a reputation at school 
And I don't know if that's going to work if I start talking about Jesus. You know, those are the things we start talking about. And we, we, we make excuses. Make yourself available to God. Some of you, you get to be the captain of the ship. But if God hasn't called you to be the captain of the ship, maybe he's called you to make meals for the crew. There's all sorts of levels of ways that God can call you to reach out to people. Some of you are stay-at-home moms and dads. God has called you to invest in your children and invest in the people that are around you. Some of you get to have full-time jobs in a very secular environment. God has called you to reach out and minister to those people. Some of you get to be full-time like me. What a great opportunity that I get to stand up here and I get to challenge and I get to go out and I get to talk to people and I get to do these things. But let me tell you something. Just because I'm vocational doesn't mean I'm the only one in here that's a full-time minister. We are all full-time ministers. And that's just the way it is. And that is what God has called us to be. He hasn't called us to be Sunday ministers. He's called us to be full-time ministry It's amazing what God can do. And it's funny because it's when I least expect it that He does it. It's when I least want it to happen that He does it. He does the impossible right in front of our faces. The third thing is, is after you have prayed and you have made yourself available to God, we have to live out our faith. We have to live out our faith. It's not enough to say, yes, God, I'm sure there's fish out there in that ocean. I'm sure there's fish out there that need to know about you. It's not enough to do that. We have to make ourselves available by living out our faith. And once again, that's not a Sunday-only thing. That is a daily thing. I remember a story of a new Christian that decided to test the effectiveness of prayer And as he was kneeling at the church's altar, he prayed for God to give shoes to a little girl who he had seen the day before that was barefoot. And daily he would drive by this little girl's house and he'd see her out front and she was barefoot. And he started saying, God, if you're real, give this girl shoes. And day after day, she didn't have shoes. And he got down on the the altar the next Sunday. I said, God, I'm going to give you one more day. And if you don't do it, I'm going to go buy shoes for that girl tomorrow. And that is the way that we are supposed to be. Our faith needs to be lived out. It needs to be put into action. James tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. Now that's a, a very misquoted verse. It doesn't mean that if, you, if you're not doing things that, that you're not a Christian in some way. But let me tell you something. If you are changed from the inside out by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that's within you, shouldn't there be something on the outside that shows as well? We are called to live out our faith. God is working all over this earth. It's so encouraging to go to a conference like I did this week and 3,500 other pastors and leaders were sitting there soaking it in and being encouraged to go back to their church and challenge them to lead out in a community that needs them. I don't know of any community that has 100% all Christians, everybody reaching out and doing things. 
There is somebody in this community, somebody that you know, somebody that you cross paths with every day that needs to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are God's tool to reach them. You are part of His plan to reach people. God's working right here in Rio Rancho. I'm excited to see what he's doing in me, and I'm excited to see what he's doing in you. I've seen, I mean, we've been doing this now for a year. I'm not sure if you understand that. We started this weekend last year at Sandia Vista. It wasn't our official launch, but we started working through all the little details and stuff. It's been one year since the first weekend in March. And it's amazing to see the way God has changed you, that he has changed me, that he has changed our church. The fact that we're in a completely different location, obviously, is amazing to see. And as we look and as we think about it, He is working in us, but He's also working through us to change the people that are around us. And most importantly, probably, He's working in spite of us. He's working in spite of us to open up the eyes of the blind to see His wonderful grace and mercy. This week, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you this week to get down on your knees, whether it be morning or whether it be night, but get down on your knees and just pray to God that he would use you. I'm not saying we need to stop at the end of the week, but let's just take it a week at a time. Pray that God would use you in some miraculous way to somebody who you would have no way of thinking. I mean, we all come up with excuses. Well, there's no way they're going to come to know the Lord. Have you seen the way that person acts? Have you seen the family that they come from? Have you seen the tattoos they have all over themselves? Have you seen? I mean, we use whatever excuse we want to use. But the thing is, is this. God loves his children. He has initiated that love. It's how we respond. And it's our job sometimes to share that love with people. I want to challenge you to get down on your face before God. I want to challenge you to get into your Bibles. I haven't given you anything to read this week. One of the challenges this week that I thought was, uh, was something I'm going to take up was the whole idea of how we approach Christianity in the world. And Nancy Ortberg, um, if you were with us at First Baptist, we went through some different John Ortberg uh, materials, but his wife, Nancy, gave us a challenge. And she said, if you go through the four Gospels and you make two columns, and one column is how Jesus danced around the whole idea of getting in somebody's face and was really mushy and just that real lighthearted Christian and just, oh, yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. Anytime you see that in the four Gospels, put a check mark on that side. But when you see him get in somebody's face and say, hey, you need to understand who God is and what you're doing wrong, put a check mark on that side. And see who Jesus really was. Because we make him out to be this fairy princess, this fluffy-haired, feathered-back, light little man. But you know what? He was a carpenter, and he was strong, and he had calluses on his hands. He had a love for people, but he also had a hatred for those who were against his dad. And he made sure that people knew about it. He made sure he, people knew when they were doing something wrong. He didn't lily-gag, lollygag around to say, you know what, eh, you, know, I, you guys are doing wrong, but I'm okay with it. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, he told them about who he was, why he had come, and what his father was doing. We need to do the same. I challenge you this week to do that. To not be afraid. Because 
I think, Mike, it might have been you and I talking about it, but where does the spirit of fear come from? Spirit of fear, actually, I think you spoke about it when you spoke a couple of weeks ago about evangelism. The spirit of fear does not come from God. The spirit of fear comes from Satan, and that's why we're afraid, because he's afraid of what we're going to do if we're not afraid, and we're bold, and we have hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to use us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in us. I thank you for the changes that are taking place in my life on a daily basis, and I pray, Lord, you continue to change me, and I never get so arrogant to think that I'm there, that I've reached that point that I don't need to be changed anymore, that I'm better than anyone else, because, God, I'm a sinner, that you have saved by your wonderful grace, and, Lord, we're a room full of sinners that have been saved by your wonderful grace. I pray, Lord, this morning that you speak to us. I pray, Lord, this morning that you challenge us to launch out, to go out into deep waters, even though we think we know what is right, even though we think we know how to do it. I pray that you challenge us to reach out. Place somebody in our path that is so obvious, that needs to know you as their personal Savior, that, God, we cannot do anything else but offer them your love. Help us to be a church, Lord, that is all about you and not about us. We're not scared about what you're calling us to do, but, Lord, we will continue to push forward until this community all know you or you have returned. Give us that strength today, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.